Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Stephen. I think I probably said that already, but I don't know. I just start every sermon that way, and I don't know how to do anything else. Glad you're here. We're in a series, kind of. It's called And Live in Freedom. That's what it was called then. Uh, I took a week off, and my brain went crazy, and so we've been doing a bunch of other things for the last couple of weeks. Uh, I guess we're kind of still in this series. We're just talking about what it means to choose faith over fear, and we're talking about living in freedom from fear. And uh, two weeks ago, we talked about no longer afraid, and then that kicked off our 19 days of faith over fear, and many of you have been joining me on Sunday mornings, or you're getting the email in the morning, and you're praying these prayers of faith over fear. And then last week, we did this, and we talked about how, that didn't sound as good as it did last week. That was kind of weak. We uh, talked about how all things are under Jesus's feet because he has all of the authority, but he has also passed the authority to the church. And then in some weird way, through the Holy Spirit inside of us, there's authority that then gets passed through the church, even to us as individuals. This morning, what I want to talk about is what does faith look like in action? What does it look like to have a faith that begins to move or to change some things? And uh, we're going to start here in this passage in 1 John as a setup for our time. And then we're going to move to some other texts that we need to get into um, so that we might understand what now a, uh, a group of people, a family of people, and a church in movement looks like. 1 John 5, 1 through 5 is our initial text this morning. I had it saved. There it is. Everyone who believes, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who believes. So he's going to start off with this, uh, this statement, everyone, I am everyone. If you believe in Jesus Christ this morning, then you are everyone. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ this morning as the son of God, then you are not included in what's going to happen next. I'm sorry, but you're not. You can right now be included if you want to be included, and you should want to be included, but it starts with believing that Jesus is the Christ. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. In other words, the only path into salvation is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. It's why as a church in our doctrinal statements, we refute anything that changes who Jesus is, that changes the path of salvation, uh, that changes what the scriptures say about Jesus. We don't have 37 statements of doctrine as a church, but we do have eight of them, and those eight are absolutely essential. And they hinge around this idea of who Jesus is. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And so what this verse is starting off is it's saying who is included in the culmination of the passage. But what he's doing is he's giving us some road, uh, a roadmap to see if we get to be a part of verse 4 and 5. But you don't get to be a part of verse 4 and 5 unless you navigate through the roadmap that's right here. And it starts with, uh, we're going to end, it's talking about victory at the end. But what we're going to learn at the beginning is that the path to victory starts with good doctrine. This is really important. The path to victory starts with good doctrine. And good doctrine centers around 
Jesus Christ. And so if you hear foolishness, whether it's in the Christian community or the non-Christian community that says, we can all believe a whole bunch of different things, but we're all gonna end up at the same point, that's a lie. That isn't true and it's not real. The victory that's being discussed here only happens if you start with good doctrine. And good doctrine is Christ on the cross crucified for our sins, resurrected from the grave with the power over death as the only path to salvation. Anything else, you start anywhere else, you will not end up at the victory that is promised. Now, how do you know if you're on this roadmap? Well, John gives us a couple of hints. He says, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. The first indicator that you're on the path of salvation or, or you're on the, uh, you, you, you've embraced this salvation, actually not on the path to salvation, that you've embraced this salvation. The first path is this. Do you love those who have also been or are now in Christ? You ever heard somebody say, man, I, I love Jesus and I hate Christians? No, you don't. <laughs> you're not the Jesus in the Bible, you don't. I don't know what Jesus that is. You love Jesus you love his family. It's all over the scriptures. You love Jesus, you love his family. And so one of the first indicators uh, that, we're, that we're in this thing, that we're believing in the right Jesus, is there's just the love that, that, that comes inside of you that where, where you are compelled to love your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Not because they're perfect, uh, not because they always do everything right, but because they're your brother and sister in Christ and, and you just have a love for them. Like you would love your natural born sibling. There's just something in your heart that beats for your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the first indicator. The second indicator that we know that we're, um, that we're walking down this path is this. By this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. And so the second indicator is this, that you obey God and that you, uh, as David says, I delight in the law of the Lord. You delight in obedience. Sin grieves your heart. We believe in redemption around here. We believe in restoration and repentance, but restoration begins when there's a grieving of the heart over sin. That's when restoration begins. Restoration and repentance, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, redemption can't begin until there's a true grievance over sin. And so uh, the next path is, uh, is that you obey his commandments. And so um, part of John's epistle here was correcting bad theology. And so it gives us an opportunity to correct bad theology. One of the really bad theologies out there is this, that the only thing that matters is love. <laughs> it's a false doctrine. It's not biblical. And so people will say, the only thing that matters is love. The only thing that matters is love. And, and, and listen, here's what this means typically. It means you can do whatever you want because just love. No. Love without obedience is just as wrong as obedience without love. And obedience without love, by the way, is just as wrong as love without obedience. It is both. The scriptures call us to both. And so we don't just say, hey, do whatever you want in the name of love. Love is crucial. It's essential. It's so important. So is the obedience. So is the obedience. 
And so this is the indicator. It's not just love, it's also obedience. Now, this should also be equally challenging because sometimes the, um, the it's not just love, it's also obedience people are um, obedience people, but they don't have any love. So check yourself on both sides. It is love and obedience coming together. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and when we obey his commandments. So how do you know that you're walking down this path? Because you have a love for the brothers and sisters in Christ and because you have a desire to obey God and his word. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. This is the last indicator that Paul, it's not Paul, it's John. This is the last indicator that John gives us. And it is that even in our obedience, it isn't burdensome. That our obedience is actually joyous. When it's wintertime around, you know, here, uh, and one of the worst things that has to happen during winter on cold nights when you forget is you have to take the trash out. You have to do it. Because you know if you don't do it, it's going to be bad the entire next week. And so in um, our family, trash is my job. And so in winter, when I forget, and I have to say to myself, I have to do this, it is one of the most burdensome tasks that I remember all week or all year, apparently, because I'm still dreading it right now. And it's 90 degrees outside. And it's something I just have to do. And there is an element or there is a type of obedience that is that type of have to that says, I have to obey. I, uh, Stephen just talked about joining a team, and now I have to do it. Um, uh, when, we, uh, when he gets to the end and he talks about, if you want to worship God with your giving, you can drop cash or check in the back. Well, I'm just going to have to do it. Um, uh, I just have to be nice to people. I just have to do this. I just have to do that. And there is, this, uh, there is this type of have to attitude that makes all of Christianity a burden. It's a burden. There's another type of have to, though, isn't there? Like the, I have to go to the bathroom. You remember that one? And in the moment when you have to go to the bathroom, there is no debate or discussion on whether or not, if you really get to that moment, when you have to go to the bathroom, there is only one thing that will resolve that moment, no matter where you are at. It's going to the bathroom. You're like, this is very gruesome. Yeah, I know. You're adults. That second type of have to. Now, not that you're like so excited about going to the bathroom, but there is a moment where you realize I can't do anything else until that happens. I have to do this. There's another type of Christianity. There's another type of living out your faith where you begin to say, I have to do this. Like I have to. I, I have to be the one that goes and helps today. I have to be the one that greets new people at the door because I knew what it was like to walk into a new place and to not feel welcome. I and mean, I have to make sure that nobody else ever feels that way. I have to be the one who writes a check to make sure that the thing happens uh, because God has blessed me so abundantly and now I have to pour that back out. Like I have to be that person. Like there's two types of have tos. And the first have to, man, it is burden. It is legalism. It is despair. And the second type of have to is what drives people like Jason to come in and to build all of that on the back wall for zero money. Like these are two different types of have to's. And he says, you know you're in the right path when there's love for the brothers. You know when you're on the right path when you hate sin. You know you're on the right path when you just have to. And now, 
we get down to verse 4 and verse 5, and we see what the promise of this is. It says, for everyone. So we started with everyone, and now we're circling back to everyone. And the everyone is the people who are walking down the path that I just described. And I hope that means each and every one of you, because what comes next is really good. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Now, what does it mean to have overcome the world? I want to give you four things uh, that I believe that overcoming the world, it means a lot more than that, but I'm just going to point out four this morning, overcoming the world, because I think they're most relevant for us in our current environment. The first, overcoming the world, we've talked about it already. I think that means overcoming fear. And so we'll just take out the world for a second and we'll put fear in there. And after everything we've preached on over the last two weeks and all the prayers that we've prayed and all the conversations that we've had, if you're still living in fear, then you haven't yet realized the fullness of this promise. And so overcoming the world means overcoming fear. It's the verse that we've been talking about in 1 Timothy, and sorry, 2 Timothy 1.7, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a sound mind. And as we extrapolate on that verse, we realize that in the, in, in the face of adversity, in the face of tough spiritual moments, that anything that is fear is not from God. And so when we realize that there is fear there, we have not yet overcome the world. But it says that we should have overcome the world. So we have overcome the world, but we haven't overcome the world if there's still fear. Because overcoming the world means overcoming fear. And the verse tells us that you have been given weapons against the fear. Instead of being given the fear, you have instead been given a spirit of power. You've been given a spirit of love and you've been given a sound mind. You know what that power, that love and that sound mind is? What it's telling you is in that moment, in the moment that fear comes up, you have been given both the ability to overcome it. That's the power. You have been given the wisdom to overcome it. That's the sound mind. And you have been given the motivation to overcome it. That's the love. And so what the verse is saying is you have not been given a spirit of fear. You have overcome that because Jesus has planted in you his power. So now you have the power to resist the fear. He's given you his sound mind. You have the wisdom to know what to do in the face of the fear. And you uh, understand the deep love of God. So it gives you the motivation and the desire to walk away from the fear into the other thing. So if that's not you this morning, when you're faced with fear this week, then you have yet to overcome the world in the way that it says that you have. This is the victory, overcoming the fear. Now, the second thing that, um, the, the second part of overcoming the world that I think this is uh, teaching us, we see in Galatians chapter five, Galatians chapter five, verses 13 through 15 says this, for you were called to freedom. I use this on, in, in week one of the series. For you were called to freedom. This is Galatians 5, 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite 
and devour one another. Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so what do we do with this freedom that we have now won or gained in Christ? What does the freedom allow us to do? Run around and, uh, and do whatever we want, sin however we want? No, Paul cuts that off and he goes, oh, hold on, no, that's not what the freedom is about. If that's what you think the freedom is about, then you don't really understand the freedom and we need to just go back to the beginning at the gospel. He says, what is the freedom about? The freedom is about now walking in love. It's about walking in love. So when it says, you have overcome the world, what's it talking about right here? It says, you've overcome the flesh. You've overcome sin. You've overcome it. That, that, uh, that, that being in Christ now, if you're part of that everyone that it's talking about, that you have now overcome the world, which means you have overcome sin. In other words, you have power in Christ over that sin. I need to spend a second here. I need to spend a second here just reminding us because we can talk about, uh, we, we talk about a lot of things on, on Sunday mornings and we, and we get into a lot of things and, and all of that, but let's just take a second here before we're all gonna take this big leap as a church and inviting all these new people and all of this stuff to just circle back around the fact that sin kills and sin is destructive and sin wants to ruin, but Jesus has given us power over sin. And so, and so let's just take a second to remember that we have been given the power or the ability in Christ to overcome sin. And so if you still feel captive to sin, you have not overcome in the way the scripture wants you to overcome. Now, maybe you're there and you're like, well, it's not really one of those bad sins. Like, it's just pride. It's just greed. It's just a little bit of anger. And, and what the, the devil, the enemy has done is he has made you believe that there is something innate in your nature. He has made you believe that there is something in your upbringing he has made you believe that there is something, a learned behavior that you can't unlearn, that you can't undo, that will always be a part of you. This is, I believe, how the enemy likes to operate most right now. He likes us to arrive at this place and culture helps us begin to understand this, that there are certain things that cannot be changed. There are certain sin or mindful patterns that will always be present. The scripture says, you have been made new. You have been made new, which means anything that was old you can be redeemed, changed, and you can walk in the holiness and the purity of the gospel. Friends, we might as well throw out the entire gospel if on one hand we're going to say that Jesus makes you new and on the other hand say that, that you can't ever overcome that sin. It'll always be a part of you. Like, we, like, like if we either believe in the restorative, life-changing message of the gospel, or we don't. Overcoming the world is overcoming sin. It is believing the scriptures that say, you now have an authority and a power over that in Jesus Christ. And so let me just remind you this morning that you don't have to give in to that sin. That you don't have to let that addiction keep winning that you don't have to let that pattern keep repeating, that there is an ability in you, in Christ, to overcome it. Overcoming the world also means overcoming the law, overcoming the law. 
It says right here, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. It's talking about the law then activating in love. And I know you were like, I, you said it wasn't all about love. It just said he summed it all up. Okay, you get my point. It's overcoming the law. And we hit this a lot because we have to hit both sides of the gospel. Sin is one side, self-righteousness is another. And overcoming the law is exactly what I described earlier. It's moving from one of those half-twos to the other half-two. And the only way we move from the one half-two to the other half-two is when we realize that our salvation was the gift of God. It is grace that has been given to us. The, the way we move from the one half to the, to the other half to is to be so reminded that we were dead in sin and Christ made us alive. See, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I think there is a corollary between if we believe, if we believe that our salvation was this much me, then we will sacrifice this much for the gospel. If we believe that, um, that my salvation was this much me, then we'll sacrifice this much. But when we get to the point where we realize, man, I was dead apart from Christ and he made me alive and I should have gone to hell, but Jesus saved me, then all of a sudden it goes, I'll just give you everything. The path to being set free, the path to being set free from the law from the first half to is just to be so overcome by the grace and the gift of God in our salvation. Now, Ephesians Chapter four teaches us the, the second, or the, I'm sorry, the fourth of the um, overcoming, okay? So the first one is overcoming the world means overcoming fear. The second one means overcoming sin. The third part of it is overcoming the law or the flesh. The fourth part is overcoming this. Uh, and again, I could have picked a bunch, but I think these are the most relevant. It's overcoming division in the body of Christ. I think that's what overcoming means. Uh, let me read you Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 real quick. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It shows a picture of individuals in Christ, in humility, eager to remain unified as the church of Christ. In Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, he says it this way. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, that is the church walking in its overcoming, which is overcoming the division or the disunity that so often breaks into any group of people. But with Christ in us, it compels us to unify and to come together and to grow up into Jesus. One of my favorite authors does this thought experiment, and he says, imagine if this religion, in its fullness of its teaching, takes over the world. What does it look like? Imagine if this one takes over, what does it look like? Then he says, imagine if Christianity wins and it takes over the world. What does it look like? A bunch of people laying down their lives for each other in love. That's what happens. If extreme Christianity wins, extreme as inaccurate to the scripture, what does it look like in the end? A bunch of people, regardless of any natural limitation we might put on them or a natural um, definer, 
bunch of people loving each other because of Jesus. That's what happens. Christianity wins. And so the fourth overcoming is overcoming the division that can so break into. And so when um, John writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. It's my, uh, my preface this morning that when he says has overcome the world, that he's saying for everyone who believes in Jesus has overcome fear, has overcome sin, has overcome the law, and has overcome the division that can so easily break down the church. That is the what that is at stake here this morning. Okay? That's the what. So by the way, if you're out here today and, um, uh, and, and, and you're still in fear or you're still in sin or you're still under the law or you're, uh, or, or you're still seeing division in the body, okay, for whatever reason, then, then that means either individually or collectively we haven't yet overcome the way that it says we should. For everyone who has been born of God, by the way, this is not conjecture. This is not future. This is present. He's saying they have done this. They should have done this. This should be present. This is the what that we want to see. For everyone who does that has overcome the world. Now, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Now what he does is he transitions. And this is why I did it this way, is then he gets into, okay, no, this is how it happens. He told us what happens first, and then he backs his way into, this is how it happens. So hopefully I have laid out for you a preferred future, a preferred future of no fear, overcoming sin, overcoming law, and unity growing up in the body of Christ. That's a preferred future. I would want to see all of us walking that together. Now let me tell you how it happens. This is the victory. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. One of the things we've been talking about over these last few weeks is we're saying it is time to go on offense. We're saying it, it, it's time to go take back some stuff that the enemy has stolen. It's time to stand on the promise in John 10, 10, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but that Christ has come, that we might have life and that we might have it to the full. It's time to go on offense as a body of Christ. And part of going on offense is now realizing what it means to have victory. Now, I played a lot of football growing up. You might believe that. You might not. I played in college. You probably don't believe that, but I did for one year. And by play, I mean, I stood on the sidelines and watched all the good athletes play, Okay. And when I showed up to my first day of college football camp, they gave me the playbook and I went back to the room and I studied the playbook and I went to uh, my coach and I said, coach, this playbook is deep and it's big and all of this, but I don't understand. Where are all the plays in the playbook? And he goes, oh, we moved you to defense. I said, they wouldn't even let me play defense in high school. Like I can't tackle. This is gonna be bad. And he said, yeah, you're on defense. It was bad. Okay? I'm not a defensive player. I should have been on offense. You were not made to be a defensive player. You and I are supposed to go on offense. And now I want to tell you today how it is that we go on offense. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Faith. 
Your faith, our faith, that our is both collective and individual. Faith is the passageway to victory. Okay? And so this morning, if in your faith, you don't like talking about faith, you might have the wrong faith because faith is the passageway to victory. You will not arrive at victory without faith. Faith starts with good doctrine, so we make sure that we're placing our faith in the right thing. You know you're walking down the right path because you love to obey God and because um, you love the brothers and sisters in Christ and because delighting in God's word is a joy or following God's word is a joy. It's not a burden. That's how you know you're walking down the right path. But then if you want to get to victory, it will require faith. So let's talk about faith this morning because this is how you get to those four things that I just talked about. Here's the first verse we got to look at to understand faith a little bit. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Let me say it this way. For we walk by faith, not by sight, means this, that if you are still planning the course of your life or deciding exactly what is going to happen in life based upon what you see and what you can decipher in your own mind, then you will never arrive at the victory. If the only victory that you think is out there is what you are able to comprehend or see in your own eyes, then it's not the same victory that's being talked about in here. The victory that is being talked about in here is a victory that it's saying you can't even see it. In other words, victory is walking in faith in such a way that says, I don't see this yet. I can't see this yet, but I'm going to keep walking towards it. Let me give you a couple of examples. The victory that it's talking about is this. I can't see my child coming to salvation, but I'm going to keep walking towards it. The victory is I can't see this relationship ever being restored, but I'm going to keep walking towards it. I can't see myself ever getting healed, but I'm going to keep walking towards it. I can't see a day in my life when I have overcome this addiction, but I'm going to keep walking towards it. A year ago, I would have told you, I can't see a day when our church owns a building. The numbers aren't there, but we just kept walking towards it. If you aren't walking yet to something that you can't see, you are not walking in faith. You're still walking by sight. And faith, the victory, is when you walk by faith. I can't see the day. You fill in the blank. I'm gonna walk in faith. I'm gonna walk in faith. And by the way, this is why it is so important that we understand what it says in the scriptures about who we are in Christ. It's why I pointed out those five promises to you earlier 
Okay, remember, a promise from God, okay, is something that is written in the scriptures that universally applies to all followers in Christ. That's a promise of God. And let me dif differentiate that from a promise of God is not necessarily something that you heard at a cool worship concert, okay? This is important. I'm not saying that God might not have spoken to you at that concert, but you can't just take any old thought that comes into your mind and say, that's a promise of God. It might have been a promise of Hillsong, okay? A promise of God, though, is everything that this scripture says is absolutely true for all people. And those ones, oh, walk towards them. Walk toward, run towards them. Run towards them. So there's the first thing we learn. That victory is uh, it's walking into something that you can't even see yet. You can't even see yet. Remember the sermon I preached on Abraham a couple months ago? Some of you might remember this. We talked about how when um, Abraham was supposed to sacrifice Isaac, okay, um, that the story always ends up going uh, like this. It, it, it always, we're always told, okay, now you need to be like Abraham and you need to go sacrifice your Isaac. Remember what I told you? That's a horrible interpretation of the story. Why? Because... Because God is Abraham in the story and Jesus is the better Isaac, right? That's the proper understanding of the story. And Abraham, when we look back later in the scriptures, we realize that Abraham in faith knew that he couldn't see how God was gonna save his son, but he kept walking towards it. And it was this reminder to us that even when it doesn't seem like it, when we don't know it, when we don't, you just keep walking towards the right thing, believing Believing. Now, that's the first part. Let me give you the second part of faith. Romans 3.27 says this, that, that, that faith is a law. That faith is a law. Okay? Now, take out like the speed limit and like governmental laws right now because everything is just up in the air, okay? So let's just take that out for a second. And let's just look at a different law, the law of gravity. You know what's great about, he just dropped his Bible. It's okay, all right? You know what's great? I wasn't gonna drop my iPad. Okay. Um, you know what's great about the law of gravity? Okay. You know what's great? It works every time. What's great about the law of gravity is that a law in that regard is to work every time. You know what's amazing about the law of faith is that it works every time. Every time. In other words, you can, uh, you can count on faith in the same way you can count on gravity. It works every time. It is a law. And so it is a law of walking, not by sight, but by faith. That is the victory. The victory is when you're walking into something and you can't even quite see it yet. Now, let me prove my point. Hebrews chapter one says this. And by one, I mean 11. In some ways, I was halfway there. In other ways, I was 9% of the way there. Some of you will figure that out later. Okay. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You're going to see some connections here. The, now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Hoped for. You know what hope is? Hope is just a belief in a better future. That's all hope is. Hope is a belief in a preferred future, right? 
our great eternal living hope is in Christ and his resurrection. So that's a hope, right? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the confidence of things hoped for. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their condemnation. What is that saying? It's saying that in the Old Testament, the believers could not see the fullness of the gospel, but they believed that it was coming. People say, oh, they were saved by the Old Testament law. No, they weren't saved by the Old Testament law. They were saved. It's only one salvation. They were saved, right? Because they believed in the one who was to come. By faith, Abraham, right? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. What he's saying? He's saying that they, they were saved by faith, okay? Not by adherence to the law. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Let me read that again just so we're all on the same page. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, it's saying by faith, we understand that God took a bunch of what was unseen and made it seen. That God did not take a bunch of things that were seen and make more things. That it was unseen and God spoke it and it came into existence. Now, just so we're clear, this is by far the most widely accepted and embraced passage in the scriptures concerning faith. And what the writer of Hebrews does is he wants to connect the idea that you couldn't see it, it didn't exist, and then God spoke it and it came to be. Now, faith is the assurance. This is what faith does, by the way. It is assured in things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let me give you one more verse. By the way, I know some of you are like, man, you're preaching long lately. Well, I only got two more weeks with one service, so bear with me. 2 Corinthians 4.13. Okay. It's very distracting. 2 Corinthians 4.13. Since we, who is the we? We is the everyone that was mentioned in 1 John. Since we have the same spirit of faith. By the way, the same spirit of faith is who? Read it. Christ. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Can I just, let me, it's the Bible, let me read it again. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. Now, I'll read the next few verses just to give you context. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. 
For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. He then goes on to say, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Second Corinthians is beautiful. As we look not to the things that are... As, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are what? Unseen. For the things that are transient, not to the things, but the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What's he saying? He's saying, take your eyes off of what you can see and put them on the things that you can't see. And then he's saying, since we have the same faith, the one that is referenced in Hebrews 11 and the one that is now being compared to Christ here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and is referencing a passage back by King David in Psalm 110, which says, so I believe, so I spoke, which is exactly what God did when he created the universe. He's saying, so since we believe, we should speak. Let's go back to first John real quick. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. I hope this morning you are here with me right now up into this verse. If you are not, if you are not, I beg you, repent of sin, believe in Jesus as the Christ, is the only path to your salvation, and join us down here at the beginning of verse 4, please. Because in verse 4 now, for everyone who has been, who has been born of God overcomes fear. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes sin. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the law. For everyone who has been born of God can now engage themselves in a church that is about restoration, unity, peace, and the advancement of the gospel. Everyone. Everyone. That's the promise that's made right here, and it is the path that we're all supposed to be walking down. And this is the victory. There's this great scene in Remember the Titans when they all circle around and they start going, y'all want a victory? Y'all want a victory? And then they start jumping up and down and they're getting all excited and they say, yeah, we want a victory. And this is the victory that, overcome, that has overcome the world, our faith. Now, what is faith? Faith, according to all the verses that we've just seen, is walking toward that which is unseen, but speaking as if it is going to be seen. <laughs> Hannah, please come join me. Now, I want to be very clear on what it is that I'm talking about this morning. Matthew 6, uh, I can't, no, 6. Matthew 6 talks about God providing for us, okay? Talks about God providing for us. I look around the room, he's done that promise. This is very important, guys. 
Because I want us to be able to understand the truth and the vitality of this scripture, but I do not want us in any way ever to abuse it and to make it something that it is not. This is hugely important, hugely important. Because I will stand up here today and tell you that it is a promise of God, of his provision. But I will not stand up here today and tell you to speak your million-dollar house into existence. Instead, I will tell you, probably, if that's what you want to do this morning, this isn't the church for you. I will stand up here today and tell you that there are some things unseen that can't be seen in our faith. But if we want to step outside the, the confines of scripture, then all of a sudden we've erased good doctrine and, and the path to victory starts with good doctrine. And this is not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do to both walk the line of saying we are going to submit ourselves to Christ and we're going to submit ourselves to the confines of this scripture, but we are still people of great faith. But if they could do it in the scriptures that way, we can do it that way. And so we're going to be on a journey and a quest together to figure out how is it that we walk both of these things at the same time? Because the gospel is never one or the other. It is always something totally outside of our ability to comprehend. So the gospel is not just strict doctrine and the gospel is not just say whatever you want and treat God like a genie and I'll give it to you. But the gospel is not rejecting either one of those things either. Now, here's what I can say with the utmost confidence. And it's why I picked the four things that I picked when I talked about overcoming the world. Because those four things, I can say declaratively this morning that Jesus wants you to overcome. I can say that this morning and I can say that those are promises from God. And so I can look at you this morning and I can tell you that if you are still living in fear, then you have not in faith experienced the victory. And I want you to experience the fullness of that victory. And I want you to walk out of this morning where I wanted you to walk out two weeks ago saying, I'm no longer afraid. And so if you still are afraid, it is time through faith to activate the victory. And the way you do that is by looking at something unseen, which is you right now living without fear. And it's not just believing that that's going to happen. It's through the proclamation of your voice now, praying and asking God for that day to happen. I believe, so I spoke. It says three times in the scriptures. By the way, just in case you're not with me, in Matthew 16, when it's the great promise of the power of the church, you know what it says? How is the binding and the loosing that happens through the church, how is it activated? Through prayer, which is what? Speaking. Speaking. This morning, if you are caught up in a sin pattern and you are 
finally at the point where you can say enough is enough. I'm done with it. I'm over it. Then I want you to foresee the future and walk in faith when you're out of that sin completely. And I want you to state it today in prayer to him that I want to be done with this. And if you are still living in the first half to, you feel like you just have to do this and you have to do that, then I want you to believe in a moment in a future where you are just so overjoyed by what Jesus has done with you that you run around doing all the old have-tos with a new have-to. And you pray it and ask for it into into being. Because that's how God created. That's how God creates when we pray it. I believed, so I spoke. I think God individually needs to do that with some of you, but I'm gonna do this one collectively. Because what I am believing and want to speak and pray now into existence is Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And so I'm just going to read it again. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we, me and you, are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so what I want to believe this morning and pray into existence with each and every one of you. So why don't you stand up to your feet with me because you're gonna pray with me this morning. Is a moment, is a future in our church, in our church where we are the fulfillment of what Paul was writing is the church that Jesus came to plant. It is a church that is bound together in love. It is a church that is eager to maintain unity and peace. It is a church that gives so generously that there is no need among them. It is a church that serves so sacrificially that there's never a a moment where a need goes unmet in that way. It is a church that is filled with the unified spirit and presence of the Holy Spirit every time that we walk in. And it is a church that is so focused on the advancement of the gospel that all of the silly, petty, disgusting, disturbing things that divide churches leave the doors and we walk together hand in hand to things that we might not see, but we are believing will happen. And so two weeks before our launch, two weeks before we tell the community, come and join us and experience redemption. I'm going to pray that that would be who we are. So let's pray. Jesus, take care of every need we have and every volunteer capacity. Provide every dollar that we need to fund what you have to do in this body. Get rid of every sin that could permeate in our midst. Release us from the obligation of of, of religious weight. Bring to light every dark thought in a heart that leads more towards division than unity. Unite us in mission and purpose so that exactly what might happen in 2 Corinthians might happen in our midst, the proclamation of the gospel and the salvation of souls.
and do what you can only do, grow your body and advance your kingdom. In Jesus' name, we pray and we walk in faith. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.